Growing up, my mom uh, told me that there were certain things that all Korean kids had to do. Korean kids were supposed to play the piano. Korean kids were supposed to take taekwondo lessons because we're all ninjas. And now that I think of it, she put me in math tutoring as well because we were math ninjas as well. So as a kid, I was active in all the stereotypical Asian kid things, okay? I guess she set me up for success because if I'm ever attacked, I can fend off the bad guys. Um, if I ever need to determine the length of a hypotenuse, I can figure that out. And if my wife ever needs me to serenade her softly to sleep, I can play the Moonlight Sonata on the piano so she can slumber in peace. So boom, there you go. I'm set for life, and I have my mom to thank for that. But these things that Korean kids did is what all Korean kids did, she said. My mom didn't ask me if I wanted to participate in them. No, she told me that I was going to go. Even though I really didn't want to go, there I was, off to my different lessons. And now I'll admit that I enjoyed Taekwondo. I really did. Like, I loved being active. I loved hitting the, and kicking the punching bag. I loved doing, you know, the forms and breaking boards and punching and kicking and, and sparring. So that I didn't mind. But the piano lessons were really another story. I didn't get to be active while at the piano, I had to sit on a hard bench. I had to look at sheet music. I had to sight read music. I didn't really enjoy that. And even though I didn't hate the piano lessons, I certainly didn't enjoy them. You know, I enjoyed creating melody. I enjoyed making things sound nice. I, and, you know, I enjoyed listening to the melody of the keys that I was playing. But I didn't enjoy that process of actually getting there. Regardless of my complaining, regardless of at times even crying, my mom still drugged me and got me to those piano lessons. So now, you know, I, I'd venture to guess maybe you weren't a kid who had to be forced into all those activities like my mom put me in. But I would say that all of us at one point or another had to be made to go somewhere where we didn't want to go. You know, this, you know, think about this. Uh, for you, you don't want to go to the DMV. You have to go to the DMV. You don't want have to stand in line, but you have to go. And I've got a little secret for you, for those of you who don't enjoy going to the DMV. Have you guys ever checked out Fulton's DMV? A lot, a lot better. It's a lot smaller. They have shorter lines. So there you go. Don't say I never gave you anything. So, but what about this? Going to a kid's dance recital. Do you enjoy going to those things? Maybe for some of you, you don't necessarily enjoy that. But husbands, let me ask you a question. You ever had to stop at the grocery store by getting a phone call or a quick text from your wife saying, hey, can you pick up one more thing at the grocery store for dinner on your way home from work? You've had a tough day. You don't want to do that. You just want to go home and eat. So these are things that maybe some of us don't want to actually go to, but you're forced to go there. And there are many reasons for us not wanting to go somewhere or be sent somewhere. A couple of reasons why that is, is, you know, we resist doing those things. The first reason is the place where we're being sent to makes us uncomfortable. It's an inconvenience for us. And the second reason is, is maybe we don't understand the reason why we're being sent. We're creatures of comfort. We like being in our comfort zones, in our little boxes, in our little cubicles. And most of the time, we're actually blind to the fact of the greater purpose of why we're being sent. So this morning, we're going to take a look at the book of Jonah. This is our first week here. We're going to look at the first part of his story. And I think that you'll see Jonah 
is a lot more like us than we want to admit. I think that you're going to see that there are three things that God sends his way. And my hope is, is that we'll discover the purpose for them and how they relate to our lives. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to Jonah chapter one. The book of Jonah is really a fascinating book of the Bible. It's a really short book. It's only four chapters long, but it's really a complete story. And the story is about a runaway prophet. And he has trouble, as you guys might know, if you're familiar with the story, he has trouble obeying God's call and his will on his life. And for some of you, hearing Jonah, it might conjure up different images. For some of you, it might conjure up an image of sitting in Sunday school, looking at a flannel board, right, of a cutout of Jonah and a large whale. And then you kind of see maybe the Sunday school teacher take the whale and kind of engulf Jonah like he's being swallowed up. Maybe for some of you, it conjures up images like it does for me of seeing our uh, teenagers do uh, some dramas of Jonah and the whale. And then I remember hearing clearly, and it sticks with me because I'm scarred now, of hearing the sound effects that they made when uh, the whale regurgitated Jonah back up onto the shore. You guys remember that? I hear some laughs about that. But maybe for some of you, You've never heard the name of Jonah, but that's okay because whatever your previous knowledge is of Jonah or lack thereof, I believe that these next four weeks, these next four Sundays are going to be a blessing to you. These next four Sundays, we're going to dive into the four chapters of Jonah and see how the gospel is clearly displayed in it. So let's pick up the story now from the book of Jonah, chapter one. Uh, Our main text is going to be the first two verses, going to be on the screens as well behind me. Verse one, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Our first point this morning, uh, they're on your sheets and you can fill them in as we go. Our first point this morning is our God is the God who sends his word. For Jonah, God calling him to a new assignment would have been expected God communicates to him that he's to go to Nineveh. He's to announce his judgment upon the city because of, it says here, how wicked the people were there. God calls Jonah to do like he did in Israel previously. The first peak, sneak peek that we get of Jonah in the scriptures is in 2 Kings. And he was to go there and preach from the word of God. But on this new assignment here to Nineveh, things would be a lot different. Jonah would not be preaching to a Hebrew people who knew God's word and who had a relationship with the one true God, Jehovah. His assignment now was actually to go to Nineveh and not preach to those people, not preach to the Hebrew nation, but his assignment now was to preach to Gentile people, non-Jews. He'd be preaching to, check this out, the most powerful nation on the earth at that time a nation which was a known enemy of uh, Israel. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And it was the home to a guy named King Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. And it was located on the Tigris River about 600 miles upriver from the Persian Gulf. And King Sennacherib declared it and made it actually the cult center of the goddess Ishtar. So this nation, the Assyrian nation, they worshiped a false god and goddesses. And it's now actually in modern day, northern Iraq. And so Jonah, he wouldn't be familiar with these people. He wouldn't be familiar with their culture. He wouldn't know what they did, what they worshiped, how they lived their daily lives. He wouldn't know any of that. 
he'd be marching into enemy territory, and more than likely, his life would be in danger. He'd be hated. He wouldn't be a safe person there, especially speaking against the nation, uh, uh, or speaking against Assyria as an uh, enemy of Israel. And he wouldn't be protected by its borders. He wouldn't be protected by the walls like in Israel, like he did before. His first assignment, right, was like hanging out with a bunch of his friends at his house, telling them to knock it off. But this time, it would be like Jonah's going into the bully's yard from school to his house, wearing a kick me sign and shouting against him and telling him to stop it. He wouldn't be protected. He wouldn't have his friends with him. And he wouldn't be in his Tory territory. You can get a sense now that this assignment is going to be much different for Jonah. It'd be much more risky. Jonah is clearly, as we can see from these scriptures, he's clearly not comfortable with the task. Yet Jonah, right, having a previous knowledge of God, having a relationship with God, knowing that he was protected before, knowing that God would go with him to this, he knew that from the previous assignment he had, yet he still disobeyed. For that first assignment, it took Jonah's willingness to obey. The God who sends his word requires us to be available through obedience as well. Friends, each of us has a call on our lives. And I'm not just talking about the pastors here or the church leadership here. I'm not talking about the deacons and the church council or even for the ministry leaders. I'm talking about everybody. I'm talking about you nurses, the first responders here, law enforcement, the businessmen and women of our church, the stay-at-home moms, to preach the hope of Jesus wherever he has assigned you to, even when it may be uncomfortable or risky for you were to preach and were to go. The primary way that God sends his word to us now is through the Bible, through the scriptures. And some people wait around for quote unquote a word to come from them, come to them from God. But he's already given us the word, his word. We know most of the main points of God's will for our lives by knowing the scriptures, by opening your Bible, by reading them, by planting God's word in your heart as you read. A quote that I've heard on this is, excuse me, don't say God is silent when your Bible is closed. Isn't that good? As a child, I didn't want to go to my piano lessons. It was uncomfortable. It was boring. My teacher wasn't friendly, and I hope that she's not listening to this right now. It seemed like a waste of time for me, but I also didn't see the greater good in going. The God who sends his word always has a greater purpose behind our assignment. His assignment for us as a church is the great commission which Jesus gives to us at the end of Matthew chapter 28. The purpose behind this assignment is to rescue us. Those of us who were once lost are now being drawn back to him. And he tells us to go as he did like with Jonah. But he's essentially saying, as Pastor David has talked to us and really has helped us understand, Jesus says, in your going, wherever you go, wherever that might be in your life, to go and what? Make disciples. Friends, we really need to break out of our comfort zones. We need to take some risks for Jesus. Share the love of Jesus with those who you're in contact with on a daily basis, anybody who you run into. 
Share the good news of the gospel with your family. Share it with your friends, your neighbors, and your coworkers. God sent his word to Jonah and told him to go. This morning, friends, this morning, church, I want to ask you a question. Can you relate to Jonah? Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God is the God who sends his word, and he sends us his word to go today as well. Our second point this morning, as you continue filling out your sheets there, is our God is the God who sends the storm. As you know, we'll see in just a few short verses that Jonah decides to what? He says no instead of go. He says no instead of go. He doesn't want to be obedient to God. He doesn't want to listen. Yet Jonah makes the decision to flee to Joppa to catch a boat ride to Tarshish. Let's read it in our text, verses three through five. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and then threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. We can see here that what? that Jonah no longer wants any part of God's story. He doesn't want any part for what God has for him and the people he's sending him to. When he chooses to bail on this assignment, he's choosing to bail on God too, or at least he tries to. Twice in verse three, it says that he tries to quote, get away from the Lord, or another way to put it is escape from the Lord. He's actively trying to ditch God. Jonah understands something here, even though he's not making the right decision. He understands that the only possible way to escape obedience to the Lord's command would be to escape the Lord altogether. The thought of that breaks my heart. He's actively trying to flee the presence of God in his life because he knows that's the only way that he can turn and flee and not go to this assignment and do what God is telling him to do. Absolutely breaks my heart. You'd think that Jonah being a prophet, you'd think that he'd know he can't hide from God, right? You can't hide from God. Big surprise, but it's an absurd thought to think that he can ditch God and then hide from God. He sees all and he knows all. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever played hide and seek with a child? Have you ever played hide and seek with a kid? Most young kids think that If they can't see you, that what? You can't see them. But when it's your turn to find them, they have half their bodies sticking out from underneath their bed or you'll see their feet sticking out from underneath those curtains that are drawn. We see you. We see you, even though you can't see us. The phrase escape from the Lord is a Hebrew word. It actually indicates that Jonah now is in full rebellion against the Lord. Jonah is trying to do more than just escape his assignment to go to Nineveh, Jonah is actually trying to reject God himself and everything that comes with God. To reject, check this out, to to reject and disobey God's word is to reject God himself. I'll say that again. To reject and disobey God's word is to reject God himself. How quickly things had turned 
for Jonah. It all started with him in those first couple verses of not wanting to go and preach to Nineveh. And as I was doing my research, I, I ended up thinking, uh, what does rebellion mean to me? What's my, what's my how have I been related to rebellion or what does that word mean to me? And I started thinking about the phrase, simply just being a rebel, being a rebel. And this makes me think of someone who typically just doesn't obey the rules or who breaks the law. But rebellion, by God's definition, is plain and simple. It's sin. Rebellion is sin in its simplest form, plain and simple. Jonah's rebellion leads to God sending then a fierce storm upon the sea and upon the water. And this storm threatened to break apart the ship and then drown Jonah along with all the other idol-worshiping sailors and the ship captain. And from this text, we see that the Lord can make a storm and wreak havoc on our plans and in our lives. And, and this happens because we dismiss obedience to his command. Why? Why does God have the right to do that? Why does God have the right to send a storm in the middle of our lives when we're minding our own business, going along our merry way? Why does God have that right? Because of this reason. Rebellion, it's serious. It's a serious sin. And God hates sin in any form because God is righteous. When we sense God's spirit prompting us to share the good news of the gospel with someone, we can casually just shrug it off. No big deal. NBD. This may sound harsh, but it's a sin. It's a sin. We go against what God is telling us to do. And if God let Jonah off scot-free at this point, if God just let him go on his merry way and let his sin go, our God then would cease to be a righteous judge. And we could rebel against anything and everything in our lives that he says without concern for any consequence. Why is that? It's because when we rebel against God's clear instruction, there's the possibility that he'll send a storm in the midst of our lives. Why? Because God says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 5, that just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord, your God, disciplines you for your own good. God disciplines us because he loves us, as the Bible says, as a parent loves a child. He corrects us because he wants the best for our lives. Do you hear that, church? He corrects us because he wants the best for our lives. To reject God's purpose is to reject our best purpose. To reject God's purpose is to reject our best purpose. It's worth mentioning here in this message that some storms come just because this world is broken by sin. You hear that? Some storms come just because this world is broken by sin. Not every storm in our lives is due to one specific moment of personal rebellion, although, in a sense, they're all connected to the overall rebellion. But often storms God brings or allows in the midst of our rebellion affect not just us, right? Sin doesn't just affect us. Sin affects who? The people around us, the people that we love, our family, our friends, those people that are close to us in our lives. Like with Jonah, the storm that God sent, it risked the life of Jonah, sure, but it risked the life of those uh, shipmates, the sailors, and the ship captain. Our God is the God who sends the storm, and God sends the storm of, of life to shake us awake when we're sleeping on the assignment like Jonah was sleeping down in the hold. 
And the point here being that he uses, check this out, God uses anything and everything in our lives to accomplish his purpose in us and through us to those others around us. Sometimes it requires more than just a nudge though, right? Sometimes it requires a strong, fierce shaking. Sometimes those gentle nudges or those kind of like pushes off, like maybe you push off a wall. Sometimes it doesn't require that. Sometimes God shakes us fiercely, wakes us up and says to us, don't disobey my word. I'm sending you out for your good and ultimately for the good of those around you. I'm sending you out because I want to accomplish my will in your life for the good of you and for the good of those around you. Lives are at stake. Souls are at stake. God says, listen to my word. Obey my commands. Church, friends, family, I ask you, can you relate to Jonah? This morning, I want to challenge you to shake off that casual attitude that many of us, myself included, I'm preaching to myself, about telling others about the good news of the gospel, telling others about Jesus, because the cost is too great. And don't just do it because I'm telling you, and don't just do it because you want to, uh, for self-preservation, do it for the lives that are around you, who are without hope, who are without rescue. So far, we've seen that God is the God who sends his word and the God who sends the storm. And our final point this morning is that God is the God who sends the word. At this point in the story, Jonah's now awake. The sailors and the captain are now freaking out because their ship is about to break apart. They're about to die. The sailors decide to cast lots. Casting lots was an ancient way to to draw straws. They believed the outcome was divine and that the gods determined who was the chosen one. So they cast their lots to find out whose fault it was that this mighty storm was now upon them. And the lots cast pointed to who? Pointed to Jonah. The sailors began to question him about who he was. They asked him questions like, what do you do for a living? What nationality are you? Jonah comes clean. He tells them he's a Hebrew and that he fears the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. The sailors were even then at that time more afraid because he told them, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the one true God. The sailors at that point said, what have you done? Because they knew he was fleeing from the actual presence of God. So let's pick up our story here in verse 11. We'll read it to the end of the chapter. The verses again will be up on the screens. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. And instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice and they vowed to serve him. Praise God. Now the Lord has arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside the fish for three days 
and three nights. What this text reveals to us about these sailors and then ultimately about our nature and about our hearts is that even when faced with imminent danger and a threat to our lives, we still turn to our own strength and our own work and we want to depend not on God, but on me, on ourselves. We will try to save ourselves even when rescue in the form of a savior is right before us. That's how strong the effect of sin in our fallen nature is. You can't save yourself. Believe me, I've tried it. In my life, saving myself looked like a young 20-year-old Jason who was empty inside. I was smart, at least I thought so. I was athletic, at least I thought so. It's hard to believe when you're looking at me now, right? I had a lot of friends. I was the friendly guy like I am now, but I was looking for identity. I didn't know who I was. My identity was found in my group of friends who partied and used drugs. I was a heavy pot smoker who was filling the emptiness in my heart with friends and getting high. I was temporarily happy for a while, but after that night of partying and the morning thereafter, I was left especially lonely. The void of love and true community was gone. I didn't have that, but God's spirit kept pursuing me. He reached out to me and he was speaking to me and I knew it. God had revealed through Jonah a way for the entire crew to be delivered from the storm of judgment and safety was offered to them in the sacrifice of one man, Jonah, who was willing at this point to lay down his life for them by being thrown overboard. But the sailors wanted to survive the storm without that sacrifice They wanted to try it out on their own for a while. Didn't really work out for them. They turned again to their own means to save themselves. The text says in verse uh, verse 13 that they couldn't make it. These four words are their turning point in chapter one that we're reading. When it dawned on the ship crew that they couldn't beat the storm, they finally decided to hedge their bets on Jonah. The storm of God's judgment is stronger than we, we, we are. We're no match for God's judgment. We don't have the ability to, uh, to escape such a storm, no matter how hard we try. The storm of God's judgment will wreck us. You hear that? The storm of God's judgment will wreck us unless, church, we depend upon his means of rescue. God is aware of the storms of life that we're facing. In fact, God actually allows them. Do you hear that? God actually allows the storms. He uses them to strengthen us. He uses them, like he did with Jonah, to wake him up, wake us up. But we don't need to drown in them because he sends us rescue. Can you relate to Jonah this morning, friends, church? God provides rescue for us from our sin through the sacrifice of his son. The Bible refers to his son, Jesus, as the word. The Bible says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us in John chapter one. And as we start pulling back the layers of this story, we can see that Jonah is a type of Christ. 
in this Old Testament story. Jonah's sacrifice of being tossed into the sea so that the storm would calm down and the lives of the ship crew would be spared is a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do about 800 years later for all of creation and all of mankind. Our God is the God who sends the word and the word is Jesus who was sent to us. He loves us and he's here for us. Jonah was content in living his great life. His first assignment, it went great. God called him to it. And then God said to Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to another place. I want you to do a different work for the sake of people that I love, people who are in great danger of judgment, my judgment. And Jonah said, no. Jesus was in heaven, ruling the universe by the power of his word, adored by angels in heaven. He was in the best place, doing the best work and enjoying the best life. And then the father said to him, go to another place where you'll be utterly rejected. You'll live a life that will lead to torture, crucifixion, and death. You'll become the... become the atoning sacrifice for people who I love. (sighs) 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 (sighs)
I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And three days later, you raised him from the dead. Help me, Father, to love him, serve him, and trust him. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, we celebrate with you. All of heaven rejoices. We'd love to meet with you after service, and we'll have some next steps for you. If you'd like to come and meet with us up front here, our church leadership will be up here, and we'll be able to answer any questions that you may have and uh, lay out those next steps that we're talking about for you. Church, this morning, maybe you're someone who's already in love with Jesus and following Jesus, but you find yourself shrugging off casually, sharing the gospel with those around you. I'm going to pray. And then I'd like to offer you two quick practical ways to share with Jesus with someone. Our world is in desperate need of rescue. Our world is hurting. Our world is dying. There's people dying without hope all around us. And I'd like you to just take these quick, two practical ways with you home. Let's pray. God, help us to carry out the Great Commission in this lost and hurting world Encourage us, God, and and empower us with your spirit to lovingly communicate the hope of Jesus to those who are hurting around us, God. Help us to partner with you, to be a light in the dark places around us, and give us the words, God, to speak to those around us compassionately. But most of all, help us to listen with ears that are empathetic to the lives who you send us to. Thank you, God. In your name we pray. Amen. So the first way that you can share Jesus with someone is tomorrow morning or whenever you go back to work. If you're asked, hey, what did you do this weekend? Share with them that you went to church and you celebrated Jesus with an amazing community of believers around you. And then do this. Share a quick 30 to 60 second synopsis of how Jesus has changed your life. Number two, do life together with someone. It's simple. Just simply do life together with someone who God puts on your heart. Invite them out for a meal or or invite them out for coffee in the morning before work or, you know, for lunch or for dinner. Invite them to your home even. And then at the end of the meal, just simply ask them, hey, is there anything that I can pray for you for? And then share about the hope that you have in Jesus. I believe these next, uh, these two practical steps will help us, like Jonah, to go to places around us and share the good news of Jesus with our friends and family. Church, please stand. We're going to close in prayer.